This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 54 of Bleeding Blue. And today we will recap and talk about the first week of training camp, which included many storylines, injuries, excitement, and lots of frustration. So without further ado, let's bleed blue. All right, welcome back. First week of training camp in the books. We're going to get quick little housekeeping things out of the way first. First of all, if you are a new listener to this podcast because it is football season, because the New York football giants are back on the football field, this is a podcast called Bleeding Blue, where we are bleeding blue for the New York football giants. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at jpenix 74 You can follow the podcast on Twitter at bleeding double underscore blue. And my co-host here is named David. David, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me, Justin, on Twitter at David double underscore powers. That's a double underscore. It's very rare. But it's also a very useful tool if anybody is ever using your Twitter handle with only one underscore, but it's a very useful tool to just put the double underscore and it's like, boom, I have my name. Just keep using underscores until you've exhausted the amount of underscores you can use. I don't know how many that is, but you know, you know, if your name is like John Smith, you don't have many options. So you got to go like John, you know, uh, seven underscores Smith. Wow. That's, that's big time. Yeah. That's a, that's a long line. So we are here. After a, uh, what's the word? Tumultuous, tumultuous, tumultuous. Very good. That's that. That's that's the word that I was looking for. After that kind of week that we had, we are here, and there's a lot to talk about. But one of the things that I do want to announce first, David, is that starting tomorrow, so Wednesday, going all the way through Saturday, and then starting back up on Monday again. We are going to be starting our series called Previewing the Giants, and that will be starting with Lorenzo Carter, who is having a stud, stud training camp right now. Now, what we do for the Previewing the Giants series is that we will be taking every single significant Giants player on the roster, and we will be previewing them in mini episodes. So maybe around 15, 20 minutes, you pop us on in the morning, you pop us on on your commute home, 15, 20 minutes every single day, you get to hear about one. Sometimes we're going to double up on players, but rarely will we do that. And tomorrow you're going to hear about Lorenzo Carter, who, like we said, is having a stud training camp. So you want to know what? We're going to get Lorenzo Carter talk out of the way right now. So we're going to save most of it for tomorrow. But hey, Bleeding Blue had a kind of viral video it's got like almost 8,000 views where shout out Jimmy Kroll and Michael Boker who are bleeding blue contributors they were both at the first day of training camp and Lorenzo Carter had that great interception off of Eli Manning off of a a screen he really read that screen very well made a very good athletic play on the ball uh, uh, for an interception and not just that he has shown his athleticism he's shown his strength 
He's shown that he is a man with a plan heading into 2019. So, David, give us uh, give us some thoughts on Lorenzo Carter, but don't give too many thoughts because we're going to be talking about uh, a lot about him tomorrow. Well, I mean, I think ever since Lorenzo Carter came in the league, Giants fans collectively have been have adopted a mentality of waiting. We're we're waiting for him to finally show and, and use the athletic frame that he's got kind of that that lanky speed that he's got. We've been waiting for him to use it aggressively, use it to his advantage. And I think, I, I think you know, when I, I went into this a lot in a previous episode talking about how I, it's hard for me to really get very, very excited over a, over a camp tape, you know, some, something like that. But it's all we've got right now. Um, you definitely, there are signs of excitement for a guy like Lorenzo Carter. And a guy like Lorenzo Carter is the kind of football player who camp camp is where they can shine. Camp is where they can show a coach they're ready to take that next step and they're ready to be a, a, a more consistent player consistently on the field. And that's been the biggest problem for Lorenzo Carter is consistency. So, I'm, well, like you said, we'll talk more about him as we go you know, tomorrow, as we go into him a little bit deeper specifically. But I'm very excited to see if he can take everything that I think everyone is hoping and holding their breath, and if we can finally exhale and have a, a very productive edge rush, edge rusher linebacker, that'd be awesome. He also fit our uh, our training camp stereotype where we said last week, the guy that shows up to camp 10 to 15 pounds heavier, and oh, he put 10 to 15 pounds of muscle on. He's looking lean. Lorenzo <laughs> Carter fits that stereotype, ex- except he actually actually did put on muscle over the on the over the offseason and that is exactly what he needed to do and it is showing up wonderfully right now so david actually something that i wanted to get to earlier but now that i'm feeling a little bit more loose we are using a new recording program right now so i'm like nervous on how that's going to come out and i'm nervous over if this entire thing is going to go great but i want to show everybody um, that we have a soundboard so whenever i tell a funny joke Whenever we're going to go to a, a ball game, sure. Here's another one. Whenever I want to tell a, a joke about the Giants not being good, Merry Christmas, you're not going to the playoffs. Whenever, <laughs> whenever, we want to, whenever we want to diss somebody. We're conference, bitch. What the fuck are you talking Oh, my God. We're conference, bitch. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. So that was David I, last week. That was, that, was a, that was a weak moment. I, I that, was, was, that was a weak moment. Yeah, whenever we want to make uh, whenever we want to make some sort of transition, a whistle. I like that. I like and then, that. You it, like it? it really it really fits the training camp mantra. Yes, and then it's whenever like, that's we, like that's like drill transition. I like that. And then I'm going to use this in a few minutes when I talk about my interaction with Art Stapleton. Oh my God! I could say something, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So that was Stephen A. Smith saying, oh, my God, I could say something, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So we got a soundboard to play with with a few with a few bunch of different sounds. So I don't have to I don't when I'm editing, I don't have to put them in afterwards. We can just play them and listen to them and laugh about them as we record. So a lot of things happened last week, and I'm going to keep on saying this. Most notably, at least in, in, in my world, I had a very interesting uh interaction with Art Stapleton on Twitter. So Golden Tate, the suspension was announced Saturday morning. Now, there were a bunch of things that came out throughout the morning. 
Golden Tate came out with this statement quickly after. And then Art Stapleton, early in the morning, not early in the morning, maybe late, late in the morning, early afternoon, put out a tweet with an article that said the following. I'm told the Giants were unaware of a potential suspension for Tate when he signed in March. Tate appealing a four-game ban for performance-enhancing substances. So, David, when you when I read you that headline, I'm told the Giants were unaware of a potential suspension for Tate when he signed in March. What does that tell you? It tells me that the Giants didn't do their homework. Tells me that the Giants didn't get didn't get to know Tate's situation inside and out. Also tells me that Tate wasn't up front with the Giants. So it just basically just tells me But 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 that's not the truth. That's not the case. I, I know Tate I know. took the supplement. Tate took the supplement in April. But me reading from Art Stapleton, who is uh, you know, he's a beat reporter. He's responsible for portraying information in a correct manner. Now you're allowed to get things wrong. I understand that. But instead of owning up to it being or deleting the tweet where he misworded a headline, where he got information wrong or he made information seem like it was misleading, instead of deleting that, I basically went on to say, well, do we attribute this to a poorly run franchise or a bad move on the player for not letting the team know? So that was my question, and I posed that as a question. But then Art Stapleton responded to somebody in, the, in my thread and said, does anyone read the succession of tweets anymore? After a few hours, once the information was revealed, that Tate actually took the supplement in April after he signed with the team. So then he said, oh, does anyone not read the succession of tweets anymore? So I'm like, okay, instead of deleting your initial tweet this morning when you worded your article as the Giants not knowing about a possible suspension, you, he then quote tweeted me later that evening, and then you, he blamed it on, oh, does anybody read anything anymore? I was pissed. I was so pissed because I work too damn hard. I work too damn hard on everything that we're trying to do here, the community that we're trying to build here. And one quote tweet from this beat reporter that has almost 40-something thousand followers, if I'm remembering correctly, when they see Justin Pennick's name pop up, when they see Bleeding Blue's name pop up, they're going to think about, oh, this guy had a bad take and he didn't know when Golden Tate uh, actually took the supplement and that he said that the Giants were a poorly run franchise. So I was, oh, I was so heated Saturday night when he quote tweeted me because these beat reporters have a responsibility to get their information, to get their shit right. Now, if he DM'd me or if he replied to me saying, you know what, that was my bad, it was my bad, I'm making you look bad, nothing. So I'm done. I'm, I'm still following Art Stapleton because you need to follow these beat reporters just for their information, but done liking, done quote tweeting, done replying, done supporting, done. So that's, that's my little, that's my little, that's my little spiel. Well, I mean, this is kind of, this is, this is kind of your baby. Um, I mean, honestly, Art Stapleton, generally speaking, and, and you can take, obviously every fan on Twitter has a bias. It's it's a biased group of people, and it's a biased group of people on any on any specific Twitter. It's biased. So if if I see one person tweet something I like about Eli Manning, then I'm naturally more drawn to that person. It's just it's just a reality of of our human nature. But generally speaking, I like Art Stapleton. I think he does a very good job. I I, I respect what he does. I think he delivers information in 
the most accurate fashion he can, given the information that he's got. And, you know, you, 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 we were texting back and forth a little bit about all of this. And basically my, my main point is this is the, the danger that beat reporters find themselves in. This is the danger of putting – I'm not saying this is what you're doing, Justin, but this is the danger of putting all of your eggs in the basket of beat reporters. Because their information is coming. It's, it's hearsay information. More, you know, nine times out of ten, the, the, important, the important two words of his initial tweet is, I'm told. Well, Justin, you could tell me a lot of things, and I could tweet them out and say, I'm told that, you know, the earth is flat. Never, never tweet on information you hear from me. Excellent use, Justin. Excellent use. Excellent. But I, I, like you. You, I, I understand your frustration. I really, really do. Um, and, I think, and, and I think this is a classic case of an ins- a beat writer being insecure that he got something wrong. Because the majority of the population doesn't understand that it's okay for a beat reporter to get something wrong. It happens. We, you and I happen, do understand it. We're ju- you are just, in this case, the victim of a beat reporter covering his ass before shit really hits the fan. Yeah, so then what I had to do later in that tweet, later in that thread, when I actually realized the timeline of the situation, and God forbid I was off by one month. I was off by one month. They signed him in March. He took the supplement in April. So I was off by one month, but that's a very significant one month. So I had to own up. I had to own up to a ton of people. I had to be like, listen, uh, I got the timeline wrong. So that's not that's not attributed to a poorly run franchise, and it's not really even attributed to the player who didn't tell them when he signed the contract. So I had to own up, and shout out to uh, one giant rebuttal uh, who was in the conversation with me. Uh, we're both followers of each other, and he's like, dude, you don't have to own up to anything. Art Stapleton, he didn't actually um, back up what he said, and he didn't actually correct himself. And he, <laughs> he, he actually responded to Art a few times, and he said, Art, I'm still waiting for your correction. So shout out to you. Shout out to you. You had my back on that one. But uh, anyway, dude, uh, we're going to talk about Golden Tate very quickly because I don't want to spend too much time on it. People are making too much of a big deal out of it. He is going to be suspended four games. He is appealing that suspension. I guess it could be reduced to two games. The fact of the matter is the NFL doesn't doesn't they're very consistent on this shit. They don't take any mercy. You know, I think it's going to stay at four games. And John Fenley of the Giants Wire, he went on the Talking Giants podcast today and or yesterday, and he said that uh, Golden Tate's wife actually had a baby in February, and it was reported that he took the supplement in April. So, you know, not to not to dwell into Golden Tate's personal life, but dude, this just looks like it's going to stay at four games, and he's trying to and he's trying to protect his uh, reputation here by trying to appeal it and just for the reasons why he was appealing it. So that that's my opinion. What do you think? And then we're going to move on. Generally, generally speaking, I, I think unfortunately because of the climate of the NFL right now, and the NFL is so paranoid about getting these things wrong, it seems like this is the only thing they really, really care about. I, I don't think, per, you know, I, I'll put my personal opinion aside of what, whether I think he did or I, he didn't. Whether, you know, even if he didn't, I think it's going to stay four games just based on the information we have and the fact of the matter that there is a failed drug test. They don't really care about circumstance. They don't really care about why you did it, why you took it. So I think this is going to remain four games. I think we just need to prepare for it. It's unfortunate. So let's just move on. 
Now, David, we know we are both very ethical men in our in our we in are? our both we are we are both very ethical men. We like to consider Bleeding Blue a very ethical podcast. You know, we're Jesuit educated. We know absolutely how screwed up it is that Tyreek Hill, guys like Tyreek Hill, guys like Greg Hardy, um, get a you know a slap on the wrist for doing very bad things, violent things, and then Golden Tate takes a supplement, or you know, these guys have to be so, so careful of what they put in their bodies, you know, including like energy drinks and they get four games. Tom Brady gets uh, four games for uh, inflating footballs. Meanwhile, guys who beat up women get, you know, less than that. So we're, that's, that's another podcast. That's another discussion. I'm actually thinking about uh, making public uh, an essay. I wrote my sophomore year of college about how the, the inconsistencies of the NFL when it comes to their, um, ethical decisions on what to do with domestic abusers. So we understand that that conversation is present. We understand it's screwed up and it's effed up, but we're just going to leave it at that. Are you fine with leaving it at that? Absolutely. Great. Sterling Shepard fractures his thumb. He's eyeing a possible week one return. Uh, supposedly he fractured his thumb from a hard thrown Eli Manning ball. So it is confirmed. I love it. It is confirmed. Eli Manning has the arm of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I love it. No, that's not a joke. That was the... No, forget it. You're a joke. Burn! Oh, I gotta, uh, I gotta get Ashton Kutcher from that 70s show. Burn! That's the next drop. Anyway, this, uh, this one, the Sterling Shepard fracturing his thumb, out of all of the news that's come out of, uh, that's come out of Giants land over the last couple of days, this is the one I'm honestly least bothered by because... I just find it very hard to believe Shepard will miss week one, especially now with Tate down. Well, assuming Tate's down. I find it very hard to believe Shepard's going to be out with a fractured thumb. He doesn't seem to think he will be. The team doesn't seem to think he will be. Do you think they're going to rush him back regardless? I don't think they're going to have to. I I really don't. And... I, I honestly think a lot of it will have to do with if, – if there is a decision, I think a lot of it will have to do with what happens with Tate. I do think – you and I have talked about on the podcast before, the beginning of this season about is, is as about as big a beginning of a season. I think we talked about it with uh, Talking Giants when they were on with us. The beginning of the season is, is, is about as big as a beginning of the season gets for a football team. So – you really need all hands on deck. See, hands, get it, thumb, hands, get it. Thank you. Thank you. So I just find it hard to believe that he'll miss week one. And additionally, if there's one guy on the Giants receiving core who doesn't need, who really doesn't need a training camp, I mean, he's been with Eli Manning his entire career. They have always seemed to have a fairly good connection on the football field. He, Eli seems to know where Shepard will be, whether yeah. he gets on the ball. And also, story. oddly oddly enough, Sterling Eli Manning has always been much more accurate to Sterling Shepard than pretty much any other wide receiver these past few years. So it's it's been well, very I mean, odd. It's true, but honestly, that's a that's a common theme with those types of receivers in Eli Manning, in my opinion. You go you, you go back in the years, right? Sterling Shepard. Go back. Who was the Sterling Shepard before Sterling Shepard? I I would say Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz slightly, maybe a little. Victor Cruz was maybe a little bit more dynamic than Shepard. Yeah, because Victor um, Cruz had one of the best years in franchise history, and Sterling Shepard hasn't even come close to that. But I get the comparison. I get the you comparison. get my comparison. But again, even going further back than that, Steve Smith. He Eli Manning has always done very well with these with with the slot 
you know, the, the slot receiver. Third down. The third down, find the chains receiver. He's always done a very nice job with those receivers. So I'm not worried about Shepard fracturing his thumb. Obviously, it's something to monitor. But I'm not – the sky is not falling the way that the way that a lot of Giants fans feel like it is. And if you'll, if you'll indulge me, Justin, I need to – you went on your rant. I have a rant of my own. Okay. And whenever I rant, it seems to be about Giants Twitter because people just aggravate me. Okay. So after the, after the offseason and you know, at free agency and, and the draft – and the team was a little bit more understood. We kind of knew what we were looking at. We knew who our pieces were. We knew who the weapons were. It seemed to me that the general consensus of in the Giants community, not in the NFL, but in the Giants community, there was a hope. There was positivity. It was we're hyped. We're excited. This team could be sneaky good. That we have reason for optimism. We, are, you, we got, I would say, two days into camp. And I scroll through Twitter, and I am seeing nothing. But, you know, in my opinion, the Giants are going to suck this year. 3-13, and 5-11 and 11 is your best bet. Uh, Giants and Dolphins will be competing for first overall pick. Well, David, uh, you, saw that, you saw that with the, uh, with the Bleeding Blue tweet of the Lorenzo Carter interception. David, it was yeah, literally... Absolutely. It was literally... I don't know if you have the notifications onto that account, but David, literally every... Two minutes. It was Eli in midseason form. Eli in midseason form. And it's just lazy. <laughs> and it's it's lazy. And you know what? And and to be honest, to defend your enemy at the moment, this is the this is the shit that Art Stapleton deals with. This is the stuff that that all of these beat reporters are dealing with. They put a single tweet up, and it could have no bias in it whatsoever. They could just be saying the same way that our that, that bleeding blues tweet said, really good player by Lorenzo Carter. It, it will get twisted and, and mangled negatively for days to come. And it, I, I just don't understand. There's not that many. I understand. Like you and I, look, I'm looking at our notes right for this podcast. And, yeah, there's a laundry list of things to be worried about in terms of this guy went down. This guy got hurt. This guy might be suspended. This guy. But I, 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 you know what we need in our soundboard? We need Aaron Rodgers saying, Relax. Relax. It, it's 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 July 29th. Relax. It's okay. Sterling Shepard fractured his thumb. He'll be okay. I'm sure he's had worse injuries in his career. Darius Slayton. Well, I'm 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 gonna gonna segue us into Darius Slayton having a hamstring injury. Obviously, in my opinion, that's the most worrisome injury because I I think this team needs another receiver. They need a guy like Darius Slayton to step up. And by all accounts, again, the Giants are extremely excited about him. Obviously, they're drafting him. They have to say they're excited about him. But I think there's reason for optimism. The Giants need that kind of receiver. But it's okay. It's just it's a hamstring injury. When, they, when, the, when the injury uh, yesterday, I think it was, or two days ago, for Cody Latimer was reported that he had a calf strain or something, and he, everyone was freaking out because he was I, – I freaked was, out. I said, I said cancel training camp. He was helped off the field. And then literally he responded to it and was like, I'm good. It's getting my calf. I was just getting my calf stretched. I'm good. Well, he, he, retur- he returned to practice maybe about an hour later. But here, David, I, I'm, I'm on the same boat as you. I'm on the same boat as you. But here's where I draw the line. On Twitter, I was, I would, dude, I was just frustrated, man. 
I was just so I like it was like Jesus, you know, we're, we're what we're three, four days into camp and Golden Tate suspended. Corey Coleman, who we're gonna move on to next, tore his ACL. Uh Sterling Shepard, you know, fractured his thumb. It's just like, dude, it's just especially with the Golden Tate thing, man, where this shit that's off the field was not supposed to happen in 2019. It wasn't. It was not supposed to happen. Now, I'm not saying blame DeGettleman. I'm not saying blame Tate. It just is what it is. But this was supposed to be the season where none of this shit happened, right? Absolutely. Everything was, everybody was supposed to be clean cut. Everything was supposed to go great. You can't control injuries. You cannot control injuries. But I'll tell you what, this Golden Tate suspension, I feel a lot better of it if Sterling Shepard, Corey Coleman, and Darius Slayton were all there. It's just the circum- It's just the circumstances that we're in right now, and it's not good. But at the same time, why I feel like if we're talking about Odo Beckham Jr. being suspended for four games, if he's on this football team, I feel like that's a different story. We're freaking out a lot more because he means a lot more to a football team. But for 2019, the offense that I think that we are going to try to build, losing one guy, possibly losing two guys at the wide receiver spot may not be the biggest deal. So let's talk about Corey Coleman. I really don't want to forget about him because that really is a huge loss. Um, towards ACL, um, such a shame. I saw it and I was actually sick um, when I initially heard this. I was just listening to the Giants Huddle podcast where they were interviewing Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator, uh, before camp. And they were talking about how they were really going to push Coleman to be more of a complete wide receiver, as in pushing him to run more routes on the route tree better and not just relying on his athleticism in go routes. And, dude, they really liked him. You know, you can kind of tell when a team likes a player. They like Dexter Lawrence. They like Darius Slayton. They like Julian Love. Um, And Corey Coleman was one of those guys that they liked. I had John Jalapio to the list. They really like John Jalapio. And especially when you're in a position battle, when you can tell that a team likes you, you know, that kind of, well, they're probably siding with that player, at least for now. So he tears his ACL. And honestly, that's probably it for his time um, as a New York Football Giant, it, it, and it just kind of it just kind of sucks. So, and and to move, and you're you're taking it from a uh, more humanitarian perspective. If you take it on a slightly more football perspective, I actually where it's really disappointing is it. it I had said weeks ago that I think one of the bigger unsung strengths of this team and unsung strengths of last year's team was Corey Coleman was excellent in the return game. And I really think that this team is going to struggle to find that same kind of production. They might find somebody to, to, to replace that, but that's something that Corey Coleman brought to the team, and they now need to search for the next guy to do it. Right, so on Saturday, on Saturday where I was at practice and I was live tweeting, and that was so much fun, I'm going to about three more practices um, in the month of August. That was so much fun. I, I hopped on a 40-minute live stream before the practice, hopped on about a 20-minute one after. Uh, Shout-out to Dylan Rivera, who I'm pretty sure who left a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast app while I was live streaming on Periscope, so you're the man. He's a new follower that we had this week. But uh, TJ Jones, Jabril Peppers, and Golden Tate were three guys that were catching punts when the punt team was out there. So those are three names to keep an eye out for. And I honestly feel like that's a great transition now that, you know, who the heck is TJ Jones? We're going to answer that right now. We signed TJ Jones, former Detroit Lions receiver last year, and we signed Amba Edatawa, who was on the football team on the Giants last year, but he was cut right before the 53-man the final roster cut. So 
those are two those, those were the moves like a lot of fans on twitter they were asking for you know oh we're going to bring in crabtree we're going to bring in pierre garçon uh, oh des bryant um those those were the moves are we going to bring in a veteran wide receiver the answer is no <laughs> so tj jones uh amba Etatawa. Uh, TJ Jones is probably going to earn his keep on the roster by probably being a punt returner and or playing the slot. He, I did see him play slot when I was watching a little bit of film on him before the podcast when he was with Detroit. He seemed to look pretty good, particularly in the red zone. He was lining up at the slot in the red zone, and they were running some uh, they were running some picks, you know, like wide receiver picks. So sometimes they can run that in the red zone, or sometimes they can just run that at all. No, Justin, those are totally well, illegal. It, it, they happen, David. What? That's allowed. So he had some. He had some positive. Uh, he had some. Tu- he actually. They were actually touchdowns that he caught uh, based off of those wide receiver picks, and he was running out of the slot. But also, so that's if Sterling Shepard is out week one. I think he really finds he's going to find playing time in the slot week one. But nevertheless, I think there is a role for him as a return man on the team. Because really, he is playing from behind, right? You know, all of these guys have, even Amba Edeptawa, you know, he has experience in the offense last year. Doesn't have the full season, but everybody else on this roster besides Darius Slayton, they have time with the playbook. They have time with the quarterbacks. They have time with the, with the coaches. This guy doesn't. So he's going to be playing from behind a little bit. What do you, Dave, I think you know, I think maybe you have some uh, extra evaluations on TJ Jones. And shout out to uh, Just a Giants fan podcast who asked us on Twitter about TJ Jones and what we know about him. So, David, you might know a little bit more. Yeah, I, I actually did get a chance to look at TJ Jones a little bit. I, I don't know why I specifically started going into him a little bit. I also saw a lot of, you know, just a lot of friends of the podcast just kind of doing their own research on him and, and you know, seeing a couple things on Twitter. He, Looks to me like one of those guys, and this is actually something that that just uh, just a Giants fan podcast, just a Giants fan podcast. They were mentioning, and I, I, they echoed exactly what I was thinking, which was seems like one of those cases of a guy just kind of getting buried and and maybe not being utilized to his fullest potential. Um, seems to me to be a guy who has fairly reliable hands, fairly good route runner, um, kind of understands his positioning on the field. I feel like every time. I did see him make a catch when I was watching him. It always seemed to go for a first down. It seemed to go for a considerable amount of yardage. It seemed to go six, you know, six plus yards, seven, seven, eight yards. And I think that's just something very simply the Giants are lacking. They're they're lacking guys who understand how to get themselves to the to, to the to the line to gain. How many times I, I feel like when we're analyzing a game, you know, the day after you and I, Justin. We say, okay, fine. Eli's throwing the ball six yards behind, you know, six yards when you need eight. But why is the route being run six yards when you need eight? It's just poor field awareness. And and that's something the Giants have lacked for a long time. And to me, it seems like Jones is the kind of guy who might be able to, um, might be able to be a little bit of a, I wouldn't say security blanket, but he's an option. He's a, he's a viable option. Um, I like what I see. Um, obviously production is not necessarily there in, in, in any kind of consistent form. He is 27, I believe. So it's a little, that is a little worrisome. He's been around, he, you know, he's been around for a little while. Hasn't really made much of a dent, but I, I think there's definitely reason to be excited about him. Um, but again, 
with all these guys, it really comes down to preseason, in my opinion. And I've been saying that preseason, I think preseason fans overlook the importance of it. I think it's one of those where if, if Amba goes, starts going crazy in week one and two and seems to have a really, really good connection with Eli, then this is a little bit more of a, okay, what have you shown me lately? And that might that might be a different story, but I like T.J. Jones. I don't think uh, I don't think Amba's getting uh, getting reps out there with Eli. You don't think it's guaranteed? I, I would guarantee. I don't it. think so. Put put money on it, especially Justin. Especially given our situation now, if we know that we're potentially preparing for Week One for life without Golden Tate, without Sterling Shepard, you're not going to see every receiver out there with Eli. Well, I also don't think Eli's just gonna. I barely think Eli's gonna play. I think you're, you you may see him out there with Daniel Jones. No, you'll definitely well, see him be... out there with Daniel Jones. You'll you'll definitely see him out there with Eli. I promise you. Okay. Um. All right. So I wanna I wanna wrap up this wide receiver. <clears throat> Actually, no. I don't want to wrap up. I don't want to wrap up on the wide receiver conversation just yet. Then don't. Then I'm, don't. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Bitch. Okay. Um, wow. All ag- right. That was aggressive. Oh my god. That was aggressive. Oh my God! I could say something up to him, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. All right. So according to Dan Duggan, after Daniel Jones signed his rookie contract, we have just five million dollars of cap space left. I don't remember if I literally said that about ten minutes ago, but you didn't. Um, I did. Did not. Oh, I did not. Good for me. So fans that are calling for veterans to sign, or even we talked about Trey Boston last week and uh, Jonathan Cyprian Cyprian. I don't know how that's pronounced, by the way. I, I still have no clue, but we're probably not going to sign him, so it doesn't matter. At the time that we had that conversation last week, the Giants had $10 million of cap space because Daniel Jones was not signed. But now that there's five, that's risky business. So no other move, no other at least big veteran moves are going to be made. There will be no Pierre Garçon. I don't understand why people were throwing around the name Doug Baldwin. He freaking retired. Somebody, I don't remember who it was, but I saw it too, and somebody put a list of eligible receivers the Giants should, should look into, and Doug Baldwin was one of them. And I thought to myself, why the hell is Doug Baldwin on that list? I was actually asked by somebody on Twitter, can I play wide receiver? So I gave my scouting report. Do you want to hear my scouting report, I David? would love to. I think I saw it, but I, I would love to. Okay, so here's my scouting report. Plus, plus, plus. Great hands. Hands like OBJ. Minus, minus, minus. Hates to run. <laughs> I'm really gonna overuse that. You are. I'm really gonna overuse you are. that. People are gonna start commenting. Oh, you're not that funny. Ugh. One one star rating. One, one, Stop with the fucking one sound star effects. rating. <laughs> Justin Penick is not funny. Do do juice. Now you see. I can, do. You have the ability to actually do the soundboard from your end or no? I don't think so. You might have to like. Maybe, can you like share them with me? Oh, I don't know about that. I, you, know, you, like you know. You know. You know. I'm a dictator. Me? You know. I'm a dictator. I don't do that. I know that. Can you like put right. them in the chat? GG. GG's in the chat. Okay. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. $5 million left. We're all, both of us are all in and going in with what we got. I'm all for throwing Darius Slayton into the fire once he gets healthy. Both him and Sam Beal should return, quote-unquote, soon with their ham and hamstring injury. So that's those, those words are from Pat Shermer, quote-unquote, soon. Take that as you may, whatever soon means. I've been very, very high on all three of these guys, Cody Glatimer, Darius Slayton, and Benny Fowler. My only concern is if Shep and Tate are both out week one, I think definitely Shep will be back by week two as long as there's no setbacks. But if they're both out for week one, who is going to play the slot? 
is TJ Jones going to be ready? Can, you know, can even TJ Jones can even play the slot, even though we saw it in Detroit, can he even play the slot in this offense? What is this, what is this offense going to do? Can Evan Ingram play the slot? Because he actually did take some snaps out of the slot. And did you know, fun fact, a little preview of uh, Evan Ingram's previewing the Giants episode, Evan Ingram took 70% of the snaps that he took his senior year and Ole Miss, 70% of the snaps that he took were out of the slot. Did you know that? I, I did not know that, Justin. I, I knew that he had, you know, that he was primarily a wide receiver his senior year at Ole Miss, but I didn't know that 70% of the, those snaps were from the slot and he wasn't an, an, uh, an outside guy, like an X or a Y receiver. So actually, I think Y might be slot. I shouldn't throw around those letters if I don't know what they mean. Outside receiver. Simple terms. Um, So know that a conversation that we're going to have the next few weeks is that where are we going to line up based off of Sterling Shepard's health, based off of when this appeal goes fully through for Golden Tate, what formations are we going to see? The Giants have been running a lot, a lot, a lot of 21 person. Actually, no, not 21 personnel. I'm sorry. 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. That is the formation that they mostly run out of. That is the formation that most NFL teams run out of. But also where two tight ends, one running back, two wide receivers, that is going to be the bread and butter for this offense this season. Use Rhett Ellison. Use Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is a pretty good blocker, better one, better blocker than he gets credit for. Use Rhett Ellison. Use the play action. Use the presence of Saquon Barkley and help out the passing game in running formations. I want to see that more, and depending on how many serviceable wide receivers we have going into week one, that will depend on certain personnel and certain formations that we're going to run out with. Well, Justin, you you mentioned, you know, if you walk into week one and you don't have Shepard or Tate, what do you do? What What is this offense going to do? To be honest, I think this offense is going to look very weird. They're going to do a lot of different things to get very specific guys the ball ideally when you tell, tell me not Justin and you maybe you can speak maybe you can you, you can disagree with me um obviously you didn't play football at the highest level but you 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 you've experienced game planning right you you, you you've experienced going into a game with a plan the best teams the best offensive teams and, I, and this is the same for the NFL the best offensive teams go into the game knowing they have multiple guys that can beat you because they've got they, their team is structured in a way that if you take this guy away, we'll use this guy. If you take this away, we're going to do this to counter you. It's all about countering. If the Giants go into week one and they don't have, you know, they don't have their, their guys, they don't have their boys ready to go. Well, then you got to go in and you got to say, all right, we need to find a way to get Saquon the ball in different situations. We need to find a way to get Evan Ingram his looks. We need to find a way to get a guy like Rhett Ellison involved in the offense. You know, we, if Rhett Ellison, t- take it for your data right now, boys and girls, right now. If the Giants walk into week one without, without Shepard or Tate, Rhett Ellison will have five catches. Rhett Ellison will have five catches. Saquon Barkley will touch the ball. I'm not saying run the ball, touch the ball. At least 20. 20. 20. I, I would that's go maybe mid twenties. It, it's that's their offense, but that's what they've got. And you need to go into the game then saying, these are our guys. Obviously Dallas will know that coming in, but that's what they'll have to do. And I think they will find a way to do it. They've given themselves the ability. And we've talked about versatility consistently over the last couple of weeks, Justin, 
but they've given themselves the versatility on offense. That's why a guy like Ingram is so valuable, and that's why I want to see him take such a step this year. If Shepard goes down, Ingram has the ability to be a serviceable replacement. I'm not saying he is Sterling Shepard. He can replace some of the production. It's a group effort to replace the production. So how what do they what do they do? You say who are who are our guys? How do we get them the ball creatively? I and I and I think they will do that fairly well. All right, now how about this, David? Do you know what 21 personnel is? Talk to me, big boy. 21 personnel is two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. What I would like to see is 21 personnel, which typically is Elijah Penny at fullback, Mm -hmm. and you're under center. What I want to see is shotgun. Saquon Barkley, one side. Paul Perkins on the other side. Saquon Barkley motions out as a slot wide receiver. And then you have, and then it turns into 11 personnel, except you have two running backs. So then whoever motions outside and covers Saquon Barkley, it's going to be a mismatch. Absolutely. I agree with you. Or, or even if even if a safety comes down and covers Saquon Barkley on the outside or where, wherever he motions to, taking out that safety and going on Barkley is going to open up another area of the field. So, and you know, uh, this is this is all easier said than done. By the way, like, oh yeah, let's 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 just have Pat Shermer throw out a bunch of different looks, and uh, you use guys this way, use guys that way. This is all much easier said than done, and it's much easier sitting behind a microphone and telling Pat Shermer to do things rather than actually executing it and actually getting it done. But it's fun to think about. This is another reason, uh, and I said on the last episode, I said in previous episodes. The Odell Beckham trade is not a bet football-wise. The Odell Beckham trade is not a bad trade. They didn't do anything. They, they, I won't say they didn't do anything wrong because I'll get crucified for that. They, they made a, a smart trade in terms of what it means for your football team. How many times last year did the Giants' offensive game plan game plan seem creative, Justin? In your opinion. Second half of the well, it, I think it all started with the with the Carolina game. Well, I mean that was only what week? That was like week three or four, wasn't it? No, that was that was well that was well into a very bad season. Uh, regardless, Neither that was that was there. the that was the that was the ESPN interview week. You're right. You're right. I think if you think back to when the Giants seemed most creative, when they tried to get a little bit more creative with their sets and a little more creative with their their play calls, it seemed like the the ball was always the design of the play was always to get Odell in space, get him the ball, which makes complete sense. He's the best player on your team, and you're and you should do that. But you can use Evan Ingram so so differently than they've used him. You can use Saquon Barkley in so many different ways than they used him. You can use Sterling Shepard so many different ways. But I think they got so focused on getting Odell Beckham the ball in different situations that they forgot the other talent they've got around they had around him. Right, and we talked about that. So I think like you're saying, you know, you and I can we could sit here all day and we could come up with these these dream scenarios of player combinations and how and what we, and how you can get mismatches. And I wouldn't be shocked if these ideas are in their head to some extent. And maybe they feel a little bit more freedom now to actually execute them or to explore them a little bit. That, that's all. All right. All right, so let's move on to uh, some camp observations. 
And this is how we're going to pretty much end the episode. And then we'll go into social media questions and then we'll be done. Okay, great. Camp observations. Cody Latimer has been an absolute stud. And this is not just us saying this because we are both Cody Latimer stands and Cody Latimer fans. But the chemistry between him and Eli has been there, especially when Eli gets going on play action, which we've been saying on this podcast for a very long time. And I've been a proponent of on Twitter that when Eli gets going in play action, his footwork is a lot better compared to just when he is doing his three and five step dropbacks. I don't know. Just for whatever reason, Eli Manning is a statue in the pocket when he does his three-step, five-step dropbacks. But when you get him going and you get his momentum going on play-action fakes, he looks brilliant and his footwork is awesome. I can't explain it. But Latimer had an impressive practice on Sunday with a few catches and the same on Saturday. Even though he did have a drop ball, he had a much better day on Sunday and the second day on pads. I'm feeling very confident about that connection as long as he can stay healthy, and I'm yelling this from the mountaintops. Cody Latimer, for the love of God and all that is good in this world, stay healthy. And I'm going to say in terms of the highest upside for this offense, uh, people like yourself, David, like to point to Engram as a breakout candidate. And really, if the health is there, just like with Engram, but if the health is there, I tend to lean more Latimer. Say your quick thoughts on Cody Latimer so we can go to our next training camp observation. I've spoken about Cody Latimer before. I, I, I love Latimer. And again, that, that's not just because he's a friend of the podcast, but I, I, he, I, he probably wouldn't say that he is, but I've decided he's a friend of the podcast. Oh, he, he, he clearly knows him and his, uh, him and his wife and his aunt. His aunt actually followed me on Twitter. I know. You um, said that a couple weeks ago, Justin. I know. Well, I, I'm just so, I'm so proud of it. We're going we're gonna to have him on the podcast one day. He, ha- he knows us. Like he may not know of like, oh yeah, these guys are the hosts of Bleeding Blue, but he when he, if he sees our name pop up, he knows who we are. And I'm sure his aunt has uh, his aunt has said some kind words. I'm sure. So I'm sure. all right. So we're we're gonna we're gonna continue to talk more. Go ahead. I, I love Latimer. Um I think he adds something to the offense that the that they don't have. I think he adds an element that they don't that they generally don't have, and that's why Big he body. was brought in initially. Exactly. Big body. That's why that's why he was brought in initially. That's why he was brought in last year. I get your point with Latimer about being the breakout. I think it's a which side do you fall on? I don't think it makes a huge difference. I don't. I don't think you're wrong for saying I think Latimer's a breakout guy. I just tend to think Ingram's a breakout guy, and I think the Giants will be better for it if Ingram was the breakout player. But that's that's a debate that we don't need to have right now. Yeah, Latimer Latimer showing up early on in camp is is huge, especially now with the wide receiver situ- situation that they've got going on. You need the healthy bodies to perform. Please stay healthy. All right, quarterback talk. I'm pretty sure people have been waiting uh, almost 50 minutes for this. Quarterback talk. <laughs> Eli, we're going to start off with Eli Manning, and then we'll get to Daniel Jones. I have been going to training camp since 2016, so arguably the start of the fall for Eli Manning. Eli Manning, this is the best that he has looked in camp that I have ever seen. Granted, I've been going since 2016, but the willingness to push the ball down the field, not just taking the check down, check down, check down, and just what's in front of him, his ability to look down the field, I know it's practice, but David, I don't know how often you've been going to training camp, but you know there have been years and years and years where people have like, oh yeah, the Giants are going to Giants offense is going to break out this year, right? We heard it in 20, we heard it in 2017 during Ben McAdoo's second season, right? 
We heard it last year. Oh, yeah, where Pat Shermer is going to really pull a lot out of Eli Manning. Or even 2016. Oh, it's Ben McAdoo's first year, but it's still the same offense. We're really going to see that offense pop. But in training camp, and I've been duped. I've been duped. Rather than every year besides last year, I've been duped into thinking, oh, yeah, Eli's going to be great. This is going to be the season. But what my eyes have told me in training camp is that, like, oh, this offense just isn't moving like you want it to move. Granted, I've been to one practice. Granted, it's been four practices, and it's only been two practices in full pads. And also, the quarterbacks aren't even touched. But, dude, just the way that he's looked, this is the best that he has looked in years. And you know me. If you're a listener of this podcast, if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I am not the biggest fan of Eli Manning. David is more. I am not. But I am unbiased enough to say that, God damn, he looks good. And I hope it continues. So, David, give, a, give us some of your comments about Eli's willingness to push the ball down the field. And just besides, uh, I would say day one, I would say the first day was his toughest day where he was throwing that screen and Lorenzo Carter had that interception. But guess what? Eli Manning has never been good throwing screens. So no. let's not freak out over that. I, I, you, you, you kind of hit all the points on the head. There's, there's not much more there for me to say. I still fall on the boat that if this team is going to be good, Eli Manning is going to be good. If the Giants performs this year, if the Giants perform this year, it means that Eli Manning right, has right. performed. And and I and I think we talked last week about what do you want what what do you want to see in camp? What 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 are we looking for in camp? And I kind of said from Daniel Jones, I want to see some things. But if you if you talk about Eli Manning, what can he show you, right? Obviously, you and I can't stand there on the sideline and say, man, that ball's coming out quick. That goes back to our stereotypes of, last, of, of at the end of our last episode. That it does, That's really a useless factoid. It doesn't really mean a hell of a lot. I think you're pulling out the most important thing that you're seeing from Eli, a desire to throw the ball down, ball downfield. Now, granted, he knows he's the week one starter. So he goes, he, goes, he throws a pick deep down the field. Eh, sorry. Don't make that throw also, in the game. I don't even know if that's happened yet, the interception that's happened deep down the field, but there was one throw where, and this was on Saturday, where I tweeted, he overthrew Benny Fowler on a go route. And I was like, that's good. Like, he, it, was, it, was, it, was almost, it wasn't too yeah. overthrown where you're like, oh, that's a bad throw. You know, he just, he just didn't hit. So somebody commented, oh, we're, we're at the point now where we're complimenting Eli because he overthrew somebody just because he's just because he attempted to throw the ball down the field. And I'm like, no, that is not what we're saying. We're just saying that it's a good sign. It's, it's the first week of training camp. It's a good sign that he's seeing the field. And granted, I know he's been in the league for so long. Believe me, I am the biggest critic of Eli Manning's. People have seemed to forget about that. It's just a good sign, and we're going to leave it at that. He's been a stud. I would say yep, Lorenzo yep. Carter and Eli Manning have been two of the most impressive players this training camp has seen so far. So I want to talk about Daniel Jones because we are running long. Daniel Jones still has not thrown in an interception this camp. He took a bit of a step back on Sunday compared to Saturday. So if you are a person of who is keeping track of a possible quarter co- quarterback competition, Eli is blowing him out of the water. And this is not to say that Daniel Jones is having a bad camp. Like I said, he still hasn't, still has not thrown an interception at training camp yet. And he's a rookie. He is a rookie who has not played a single NFL snap. Still hasn't thrown an interception at camp. Knock on wood. 
He's also shown the willingness to throw the ball down the field just like he did during the spring. And frankly, if you're of the belief that they're uh, that the theory that Daniel Jones is going to bring the best out of Eli Manning, I wasn't so much of that belief because I'm like, Eli Manning is such a natural competitor. Why does he need a rookie quarterback to push him? But if you're of that belief and if you have that theory, at least one week into camp, you've been proven right. So, David, very quickly. There was a, there was a video from, I think it was Sunday, um, of Daniel Jones seemingly throwing a completely errant pass to the sidelines. you see it, Justin? Like totally overthrowing, like throwing it feet over the receiver's head, and the ball sailing out of bounds. And Saquon and, and Saquon explained what was going on. Yeah, but then Saquon, yeah, but then Saquon quote tweeted it, and and it, he just nothing was there, so he threw the ball away. End of story. And I think what's hilarious is I had like friends like screenshotting it and sending it to me and laughing. I had there was uh, the Black Adam Schefter uh, account. On Twitter, if you've seen that account, yeah, that went viral. And, and just saying, like, you know, Daniel Jones is in mid- midseason form or whatever he's, whatever they said. I don't remember exactly what it, what it said. I'm just like these are just, I'm, I'm okay with, the, I'm okay with the national media kind of saying the Giants could be the worst team in the NFL. I think it's kind of funny because I think doing a little bit of research, you would realize they probably won't be. I just, I can't stand just the lazy, lazy, lazy takes, and just like the. Oh, this guy threw an incomplete pass. You know, he it's a fell it's a fell draft pick. It, it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it's lazy. That's where we run into trouble in in our analyzing of players and our analyzing of results. It just it's it frustrates me. And and I had you, us talking about Jones playing well in camp. You know, he's not having a bad camp. He's just not playing as well as Eli. This is what you expect from a guy from a rookie quarterback in camp. You don't expect him to come in and be a world beater, and you don't expect him to be better than your veteran quarterback. If he is, that'd be an issue. But David, let's make it clear. Danny Jones is having a great camp. Like, it's not that, it's just that Eli is playing so much better, but it's not that Danny Jones is, ha- Danny Jones is having a great camp. And for a rookie, uh, again, the, the projection of some people that have reported, some people that have watched Carson Wentz come up and his progression into the NFL People are saying that where Daniel Jones is, is far ahead of that. So that is, again, it's a great sign for week one. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the end of week one. All right, so let's move on to our final three little mini storylines of camp observations. Then we're going to do social media questions very quickly. Big George, can't pronounce his last name, rookie right tackle, small school, uh, late round draft pick, getting third team reps at right tackle, and... When uh, Mike Remmers was on a bit of a was on a bit of a break because they're trying to ease him back in to repetitions at practice for the first team at right tackle, even when he was getting first team reps, this is Big George. He looked very very good, comfortable on both pass and run sets. He moved well. However, he's now going through the concussion protocol after Sunday's practice. But keep an eye on him when he comes back. Hopefully, he is back by the second preseason game. It depends. Sometimes concussions can be can be funky. Uh, I know they're, they're for some reason, they're way more uh, funky when you're talking about baseball. Waiting, waiting. I was, I was really wondering how you were going to get that one in there. Um, Grant Haley has been a stud. Thank you. Grant Haley has been a stud at the nickel cornerback spot. I think we talked about him earlier in the episode very briefly. He's been getting the start at for first team over Julian Love. Julian Love has also been, been getting, uh, been running with the twos and spending a decent amount of time at safety. 
And as I said last week on this podcast and also on Talking Giants, Julian Love will be the Swiss Army knife, Swiss Army knife of this football team. His tackling abilities, coverage abilities, just the ability to compete overall is there. And again, we talked about last week on this podcast how the Giants and Dave Gettleman have built this roster centered around players who can do multiple things well as opposed to guys who can just do one thing great. All about versatility. Um, but Grant Haley had a play on Saturday where he blew up a running play coming from uh, the nickel spot on a blitz, and he also made some other plays. So versatility for the win, Grant Haley for the win. That's what this team needs. They need they need these kinds of plays out of the secondary. When the Giants defense the last couple of years have been at have been at their strongest, it was when Landon Collins was making those kinds of plays. It's when Dominique Rogers Camardi would come up and make those Great kinds point. of plays. That's that's when the, this defense is playing at its best, and that's what bet that's Betcher's calling card. And if our biggest question mark on this team is the linebackers, and where is the where's the production going to come off the edge? Where's where's production coming in the middle linebacker spots? The 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 secondary corners and safeties dropping down, helping out. That that's how you help that. Final point before we get to I think maybe two social media questions because we answered a few throughout the podcast. Dexter Lawrence has been a huge piece of conversation this week. Pat Shermer has defended his ability to be a multi-down player, saying he can play all three interior D lineman positions: nose tackle, three technique, and five technique. Here is how they primarily lined up on Saturdays, which on Saturday, which was the first padded practice. Dalvin Tomlinson was at nose tackle. Dexter Lawrence at three technique. B.J. Hill at five technique. And lo and behold, there have already been Aaron, Don- Aaron Darnold comparisons rolling rolling it, so let's hold the brakes on that. Uh, but if I were to mm. guess, this is the way the defensive line will primarily line up this year because I think lining up Tomlinson at nose tackle, we saw the Tomlinson at defensive end experiment, uh, experiment kind of fail last year. We saw that his biggest strength was at nose tackle once Snacks was traded. Uh, Dexter Lawrence at three technique, you can kind of – make him uh, the best of both worlds scenario where, oh yeah, we think he can be a five technique and we think he can pass the rusher a little bit, but he's a lot stronger at nose tackle. So let's put him at three technique and kind of put him right in the middle. BJ Hill, his biggest strength last year was at five technique, but nevertheless, both Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence, they can mix and match both at nose tackle and three technique. And also Dexter Lawrence can also play five technique. Don't forget about RJ McIntosh as well, who is a lot skinnier not to say that he's a small man, but I thought he would be a lot more of a nose tackle and have that weight and have that body look to him. RJ McIntosh, who played a little last year, he has the body of a, of a defensive end, a 3-4 defensive end. So look out for him as well. Let's get to some social media questions. Glenn Warsiski of, NY, of NYG Underground asked, did you witness a fullback used in any of the offensive formations? Bill Belichick has been implementing two back formations to counter the use of defensive back sub packages, which actually, David, we talked about with Paul Perkins, right? We talked about that ability and that capability, that potential that Pat Shermer has to kind of counter sub packages and nickel packages where you're putting three cornerbacks on the field. If you're putting two running backs on the field, that's a mismatch if you put three cornerbacks on the field when two running backs are on the field. Does that does that make sense, the way that I'm saying that? You say field a lot, but yes, it does make sense. Yes, I, I, I'm saying a lot of words right now. But the Giants are, again, I, I'm saying this, and I'm hoping I'm right because you watch the film and it just makes more sense for who this football team wants to be and what we think that they want to be. It makes more sense for them to use running formations more often. It just feeds the strength of this football team. It's not going to be spread the field. 
It's not going to be, let's put Eli Manning in the shotgun and let's spread the field out wide. It is going to be running the ball effectively, and then everything else will come from that, and that's not a hot take. So, Glenn, thank you for asking. The- Which is why trading Odell Beckham made so much sense. All right, we're done talking about Beckham. I'm done. Oh. Can I can I change the narrative and say that's why trading for Kevin Zietler was hey, so great? Hey, oh my God, I could say something, up to him, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Gaza on Twitter asked, why do the NFL gods not want us to have wide receivers? <laughs> I think that's fine. Um, why, so, David, you answer well, that. I can guarantee you, and you're going to get mad at me. Is it the Odo Beckham Jr. curse? It's because the, 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 the wide receiver god, the NFL gods, uh, did something for us in 2014 by handing us Odo Beckham, who was delivered to us literally from the gods. And we basically took that, used it for a little while, and like a used car got rid of it. And the NFL guys don't like that. So they're now smiting us. Don't worry. Everything, everything will be okay. In the wise words of Aaron Rodgers, relax. Everything's okay. But it's the Odo Beckham curse. It is the Odo Beckham Jr. curse? Wow. Our last question. This comes from our main man, B. Davidowitz. What do you see, or what do you all see? So he's not just talking to me, he's talking to you, David. How do you like that? I love that. What do you all see in the competition for the center position? Jalapio was well-rated during his limited starts, but Pulley came away with the highest pass-blocking grade of any Giants lineman. It doesn't count if they're going up against Lawrence, but I'll tell you what, uh, Dexter Lawrence is a pretty damn good test uh, to go yeah. up against. So, uh, so let's see. I have something right here. But Charles Bentley, who apparently is a... Uh, offensive line whisper. He said Giants John Jalapio will be a top five center in the NFL, and I tend to agree with him. I am a huge John Jalapio fan. I think the the, the team, again, we want to talk about the team, when a team tends to side with the player. When they talk about a player a lot, he's going to start. I think he is more versatile than Spencer Pulley. Obviously, Pulley played very well. But just overall, where I see Jalapio fitting better with this line this year, especially with Hernandez, him and Hernandez really seem to have a good connection, not only on the field, but also off the field. And that connection off the field, you can argue, is the start of a good connection on the field. So frankly, we need to see more of the center battle that will continue throughout camp. But I mean, I think it's pretty clear cut that Jalapio will get the start. And Spencer Pulley will be that Swiss Army knife of the offensive line where he can play center and he can play guard. And that is an extremely, extremely such an important spot that we haven't had in years that God forbid somebody does go down in the interior lineman, both sides of the guard and in the center spot. It's like, oh, shit, you know, we're, we're, we're screwed. We do not feel that way this year. So that's why I'm even glad that we did pay Spencer Pulley to play that role. David, very quickly comment, and then we're getting out of here. I, I, all I have to say is I, I agree with you. you. You took the words right out of my mouth. I, I think you're right. Pulley adds depth to the offensive line that you will inevitably need. If there's one thing that you know you're there's, – there's, there's two things you know you're going to need when you come into an NFL football season if you're a GM, and it is offensive line depth and secondary depth. You need depth at both those positions, and the Giants have been working very hard to get that depth at both positions. But to answer the, the, the question, I think it's Jalapio's job to lose. 
All right, so that's it. Week one, training camp. We are headed into week two. Practices are today, Tuesday. They're going to start. I don't know how many days we're in pads this week. I have no clue. I have no clue what the schedule is, but I knew I know that we had off on Monday, so that's when we're recording this. So that's great. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. It was a frustrating first week. A lot of things went wrong. There are still plenty, plenty of reasons for optimism. You have to wait and see what happens with Golden Tate. You have to wait and see what happens with Sterling Shepard. It really sucks for Corey Coleman. Hope and pray that the rest of the team stays healthy in week two. You will hear from us almost every single day except on Sundays, maybe even sometimes on Sundays, depending on how much news is going on. We will be previewing the Giants. Every single significant player on this Giants roster tomorrow, we are starting with Lorenzo Carter. They will all be mini-episodes. Bleeding Blue will have an action-packed summer full of content. Peace out. Go Big Blue. Keep on bleeding blue. And David, stay beautiful, everybody.